I have to tell you that if I only had one message to preach, um, the one I'm going to share with you today would be one of them. It would depend on the group that I was talking to, of course. There are a number of uh, messages uh, or passages that if I had just one opportunity, I would want to share that with a group of people. And again, a group of Christians, this would certainly be one of those. I think it's pretty important, obviously, because it would be one of those that I would if I had only one uh, shot at sharing something from God's Word at a group of believers. And, um, and it's the kind of thing that I would preach again. And the Scripture thinks that this is pretty important, too, because uh, it has a lot to say about it. And, um, and the reason I'm actually talking about this today is because uh, this is a key to helping us to fulfill our vision. We've spent uh, several weeks now, five weeks together, actually talking about our vision, you know, honor, grow, serve, share, honor God, grow in your faith, uh, serve others, and share the word. And, uh, and what we're going to talk about is how we go about it. Now, I, I brought today uh, something. Uh, I brought a, a set of um, work gloves. <laughs> and I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, what's a pastor doing with work gloves, right? Well, they're my wife's. <laughs> Actually, these are my gloves, and I have gotten a lot of work done with these uh, in the past, you know, but I have to tell you something. I, I've never been able to tell them just to go and do the work, right? I, I've never been able to get them to do that, kind of like uh, maybe teenagers, you know, you just can't tell them to do the work and get them to do it. And as a matter of fact, even if they decided that they wanted to and could and would try to do something, they're pretty flimsy, right? I mean, they wouldn't be able to do a whole lot. Now, maybe I could take them and kind of work it together and get them maybe to, to kind of hold up that pen, you know, and, and maybe that would, uh, that, you know, be okay, but it's just a slight bump on it, it might fall. Or you could use it as a bookmark, maybe. You could use gloves like that. But, you know, if I were to take, as flimsy as it is, this glove, and I were to put it on, then I can take that glove anywhere I want to. And then this flimsy glove becomes just as strong as I am. And I can do whatever I want with this. And I have to tell you that this really is a good illustration of us and the Holy Spirit. The truth of the matter is, my friends, that left to ourselves, there's really not much we can do. In our own strength, we're really pretty flimsy, and we can't accomplish a lot. But when the Holy Spirit is in us, then he fills us, and then we can be as strong as God. Now, I have to tell you the difference between these gloves and us is that we have a choice. So this glove has no choice. I can pick it up and put it on whenever I want. But you and I have a choice as to whether we should be filled with the Spirit of not. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, uh, Paul writes these words. He says this, Be filled with the Spirit. 
Again, it's a choice that you have to make. And I want you to know that if we were to try to translate that Greek to capture the sense of the verb, we would say this, be being filled with the Spirit. There's this constant refilling of the Spirit that's necessary, this daily, almost moment-by-moment thing that occurs that we're to be filled with the Spirit. Dale Moody, a famous uh, preacher, many of you probably heard of him. There's a college named after him. Uh, often prayed to be filled with the Spirit. And someone asked him one time, said, why, why are you always praying to be filled with the Spirit? You know, doesn't God fill you? Why do you keep praying that over and over again? And his response is just classic. He says, well, because I leak. And that's the truth, you know. God comes to us, and, and if you've experienced that and you've been filled with his spirit, you know that, and you've experienced that power that is there right in your life, and then you find there's this emptiness that follows. And so there's this leaking that happens, and we need to be filled with the spirit, and it's a continual kind of thing. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And there are three things that I want to try to accomplish today. First, I want to give you a brief history of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to clear up some misunderstandings about the Spirit. And then I want to talk to you about God's plan for us and the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is this brief history of the Holy Spirit. And that to me sounds such a, like a funny thing. Because the Spirit is an eternal being, so how do you have a brief history of the Spirit? And of course, what I mean by that is, is that we're going to be brief. Uh, we're going to look at just certain aspects of the Spirit this morning. And, and we're going to begin with the fact that we know that he was existent in all eternity past, before the world was created. But we really are introduced to the Holy Spirit before we're introduced to the word of God or to Jesus, right? And so in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, we read this. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So there it is, right in the very beginning of our Bible, the very second verse, after being told God created the heavens and the earth, we're told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that picture there is like a hen that's brooding over her chicks. He's hovering over the spirit of the deep. So he was present at the creation. And then the Holy Spirit is present at all the most important events in history. He was present in the incarnation, right? Uh, Mary was told uh, that which is born in you that's in you is of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will overshadow you so that the child that's born of you will be called the son of God he was there at the resurrection Jesus was raised by the spirit of God and he empowered the church in Acts you're all familiar with that and so he is there in us and he has always been there for us and, um, and so in the Old Testament, just so you understand how he worked in relation to people in the Old Testament, is that he would come upon a person and empower them for a particular task. And when that task was done, then the Spirit would leave. 
all right? And so in Exodus 31, there's a guy by the name of Bezalel. I know that's a common everyday word with you all, right? You know that name. But he was a craftsman, and he built all of the articles of the temple. And that passage tells us that that man, the son of Uri, was filled with the Spirit, and God gave him the ability to make those articles for the temple. And then once that was done, then the Spirit simply departed. Ahab, uh, you remember the wicked king Ahab. Well, Elijah had this confrontation with him on the uh, uh, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And you probably remember the story. The 450 prophets over here, they have an altar. They pour, I mean, they're calling on their God and they have to sacrifice, waiting for the fire to come from heaven. Doesn't happen, right? And then Elijah's time for the evening sacrifice. And they douse his with water, you know, three times. It fills the trench around it. Fire comes down and it consumes the sacrifice and, and the altar and the water and everything is consumed by the fire. And then Elijah begins to pray for the rain. And there's this little cloud the size of the hand, right? And, and then he goes to Ahab and he says, get back to your palace because it's going to pour and then the Bible tells us this really interesting thing. The Spirit came upon Elijah, and he ran ahead of the chariot of King Ahab all the way to the palace. The Spirit enabled him to do that. Couldn't do it some other time. Once that was done, then the Spirit left. And so now you understand the, a verse that has probably bothered many of you uh, in, the, in the Bible where J, David in Psalm 51 says to the Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He's not talking about salvation. David understood that for him to be a good king in Israel and to rule the Israelite people, he needed the power of the Spirit. And when he had sinned with Bathsheba, his fear was that God would take the Spirit away. Not that he'd lose salvation, but he would not be able to lead the people of God anymore. And so what we have here in the Old Testament, I mean, the Holy Spirit has always existed. He's been throughout history. But in the Old Testament, he came upon a person and left when the task was completed. But all of that begins to change when Jesus comes, right? And, and so the Holy Spirit with Jesus, he descends and remained on him. So uh, in John chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, we read this. Then John gave this testimony, speaking of John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself would not have known him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remains is a one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Old Testament Spirit came and left. Jesus comes, the Spirit comes and stays, never leaves. The Spirit is given, as it says in another uh, place, to Jesus without measure. But after the resurrection, things changed for us too. And Jesus himself tells us that. And this is what he says in John chapter 7 and verse 39. He says this, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed on him were later to receive. Up till that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not been glorified yet. After the resurrection, he says uh, that, that, um, that it does remain on him. In fact, we know in 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing 
uh, what is to come. In the Ephraim Room Discourse, Jesus said the Spirit is with us forever. Old Testament came, left. Jesus, he came and remained. Once Jesus was crucified, rose again, and was glorified, then the Spirit was given to God's people, and he remains in us. He never will leave us. He never will depart. He is always for us and with us. So that's kind of the brief history in the Holy Spirit. And I hope that's helpful to you. It was helpful to me as I studied and learned and understood how God worked through the Spirit through those times. So I, and now I want to do something. I want to clear up three misunderstandings about the Spirit. And, and there's probably more than this, but there are three that I am aware of that I think are very important. And, um, and, and so I'd like to address those. And the first one is, as many people just don't, understand the spirit at all uh they don't know who he is and um and that was the case for me for about 20 years as a christian i have to be honest with you um i i I could tell you the right doctrine my theology was right i i could tell you that the holy spirit was a member of the trinity he had existed in eternity past and would always exist I, i knew that but i never really understood it like many people, I thought of the Holy Spirit as an it. Well, the Spirit is not an it. Uh, most people who don't know better, who haven't been instructed by the Word of God, think of the Holy Spirit this way. They think of him as, as some kind of, a, of an electricity or like a mist or some kind of power. And you must get this, this feeling of this ooh kind of thing, right? But the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he's a person every bit as real as Jesus Christ. Acts 5, you're familiar with it. We won't turn there, but Ananias and Sapphira sold some property and then only gave a portion of it, pretended like they were given it all. And they asked them, Peter asked, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? So you can't lie to electricity. You can't lie to a mist. You can't lie to power. You can only lie to a person. And so the Spirit is a person. And he's every bit as real as Jesus Christ. The other misunderstanding, second misunderstanding, is, is that there are some people who think this way about the Spirit. They think that they want to get a hold of the Spirit and use Him. And so I have this picture in my mind of someone like that, right? So you, you can end up picture somebody with a fire hose, right? And that, just that water's coming out. And, and so, you know, if you have a fire hose, I could be knocking down these front rows here with it, right? And, and, and so that's what they think. Of. They think, I get a hold of the Spirit and use the spirit but that's really not the way it works in fact the truth is exactly the opposite you and i don't get a hold of this spirit and use him if anything he gets a hold of us and uses us and that's what our prayer ought to be not that we get more of the spirit but we give more of ourselves to the spirit so he can use us a third misunderstanding that um that I say is really very common. It's really kind of two broad groups in Christianity. Uh, there's on this side, there's the charismatics. I don't mean this side. I mean on this side of my body. <laughs> there are the charismatics, and on this side, there are those people who pretty much just kind of ignore him. 
they don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. So on this side, there are people that that could tell you, like I used to be, doctrinally who the Spirit is, but that means nothing to them in actuality, right? And in fact, a very famous theologian, J.I. Packer, in his 90s now, going blind, finally realized he's got to stop working and all. Great theologian, really wonderful uh, Christian man. But he makes some really startling comments in a, a book of his, Keeping Step of the Spirit. He makes this statement. He says he shouldn't even talk about the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't even talk about the Spirit. And then he makes this phenomenal statement that the Holy Spirit never presents himself for direct fellowship like the Father and Son. And he's wrong. He's been blinded. You know, 13, first, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14 says this. You know this. Great famous benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so there are people that just, just they don't even know. They ignore him. And then the charismatics, man, they're all about the Spirit. Well, actually, they're not. <laughs> actually, they're not. Um, they, they, uh, they're about the gifts. They want the gifts. They want the gifts to use them, kind of in the same sense as that fire hose. And, and what they really need to be doing is they need to accept whatever gift he has, but they ought to be reaching for the Spirit, welcoming the Spirit in his life. They're so concerned about the gifts that they forget about God. The Spirit doesn't want that. You know, he's so important in our lives. I mean, Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1-4, he tells the disciples the Spirit is coming. John 14 through 16, an extensive, the upper room discord talks about the Spirit extensively. John the Baptist told us what Jesus would do and baptize us in the Spirit. The apostles taught about the Holy Spirit. And they do that because he's important to us as believers. He's a person and not an it. And we don't use him. By his grace, he'll get a hold of us and use him. And we need to respect him as God Almighty. Because he is God. And that brings us to the last thing. And that is that God has a plan for us in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the first thing I'd say is that the Spirit really is the source of all real satisfaction in our lives. So if you have your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, hopefully we'll get it up on the screen. Uh, we had this exchange with Jesus, right? And the woman at the well, you know, and Jesus is traveling through Samaritan territory. Disciples, he sits by a well, he's tired. The disciples go into town to buy food. And this woman comes along and Jesus asks for a drink. And then Jesus she says, well, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them 
will become in them a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. You see, real satisfaction, it comes to us, it's imparted to us by the Spirit, by imparting to us eternal life. Now, I can tell you, you can turn to the world if you want to try to find satisfaction, and many people do. I did until I came to Christ, and unfortunately, sometimes I still do because I'm still a sinner. When you turn to the world for satisfaction, instead of taking a drink of water, you fill your mouth with sand. The world has nothing that can refresh you, nothing that can satisfy you fully and surely. The Spirit is living water. Now, that woman didn't understand that. We know it because of what we read in chapter 7 and we'll read in chapter 7. But living water is the Holy Spirit, and, and the Spirit brings you and I, if we're Christians, real satisfaction. And you know what he said? It's not just a canteen. He didn't just give you a gallon jug of water. He says the Spirit will be like a spring of living water welling up inside of you. He will bring you eternal satisfaction because that's who he is. And then he enables us to minister to other people. So in John chapter 7, we've already looked at, at a portion of that. But, but Jesus says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit. So in John 4, he's talking about this well of water springing up in us that brings us satisfaction. But what he's saying here is a little different. He's saying that from within us will flow these streams of living water. And so they come to people around us. We bring refreshment to them by the power of the Spirit working in our lives. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that experience where you're interacting with someone, sometimes a Christian who's hurting, sometimes an unbeliever, and you just know that the Spirit is flowing out of you and touching that person? Well, that's his ministry in our life. That's what he wants to do, to give us satisfaction and to help us to uh, reach other people because we're not going to do it in our own strength. This is what we are in our own strength. He wants to fill us and make us strong and use us to reach people. And the final thing is uh, that the Spirit does is he enables us to live the Christian life. And so Romans chapter 8, verses 13 and 14, great passage, ought to memorize it if you haven't. But what we learn there is, is that the Spirit helps us to say no to sin. So verse 13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you understand what he's saying here? That you and I, without the strength of the Spirit, are like this when it comes to those sins and things in our life. And that every time you have ever said no to sin, you did it because the Spirit of God is in you, strengthening you, and helping you to do that. And I know that many times it doesn't feel like it. 
I know there are times when I'm facing temptations or something, and I feel like, where is the Spirit? And, and, and I think the way I try to understand that is if I think about someone who's a weight trainer, and if you know how that is, you know, imagine you're lying on your back and you're doing your bench presses and you have a training partner and you're on your fourth one and you just barely get it up there and you're going to do your last and final set and you can't quite lift it up and what does your training partner do comes and puts a finger or two fingers on that bar not a lot just enough to lift that bar so you can get it on and why is that done it's to strengthen you and so the spirit does that in our lives he comes alongside of us and he strengthens us but we have to do our part and as we do it we become stronger and stronger so the spirit enables us to say no to sin and if you want to get victory over sin you're going to do it through the power of the holy spirit now, I have to tell you that, that, and I've said this many times before, when we first become Christians, we think about the Christian life almost exclusively as saying no to sin. Right? We, we think, okay, now I'm a Christian, I can't sin. So I shouldn't sin because I'm a Christian, right? And that's true. As a Christian, we don't want to sin. But there's a whole other part of the Christian life, and that's learning to say yes to God. So we say no to sin and we say yes to God. And so we read in verse 14 of Romans uh, chapter 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. A whole part of a Christian life that we're not even aware of when we first get saved. See, Jesus will lead us to places we never imagined we could go. He will lead us in places that that we don't know how to, to do it. Look, as a pastor, I have to talk to people all the time about hard things. And I, and I don't have anything for them. By myself, this is me. But if, but if I go and I just allow God to use me, if I trust him, then he can use me and speak to people through me and help people and encourage them. He'll lead us in places we, we never imagined when we first signed up for this. You know, I used this illustration before. A guy got across the Sahara Desert and hires the best guide he can and they get up in the morning and go out to the edge of the desert and he looks and says, where's the road? And the guide said, I'm the road. And he see, that's the spirit for us. The spirit knows where God wants to take us. He's going to lead us there. And our job is to say yes. Our job is to follow him, to listen to him, to obey him. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you satisfaction. He'll use you and you will touch the lives of people as you're obedient and as you follow him. There are other things the Spirit does. I mean, he helps us to pray. He gives us assurance of our salvation. He he bears witness to our spirit about truth and that kind of stuff. But, but this is at least a good place for us as a church to think about and to start. And if you've never heard anything like this before, then you need to start understanding. This is God's word. There's not a thing I've said here that's outlandish, out of place. 
place, extreme, or anything. It's the living God and His Spirit in us. You see, God has a plan for you in His Spirit. See, just as you cannot save yourself, so the truth is you cannot live the Christian life in your own power. You simply can't do it. It was God's will to send Jesus to pay for our sins, which we could not do. And God has sent his spirit to enable us to live the life he's called us to. It's the only way we can do it. I may not be very strong. (laughs) That glove right now is as strong as I am. Without the Spirit, that's what we are. You want church? (laughs) Do you want to fulfill our mission statement? Do you want to honor God? Grow in your faith? Serve others? Share the word? And learn about the Spirit. Submit yourself to Him. It begins just by recognizing the truth. You're already doing it. You need to bring understanding to what you're doing. Would you pray with me? Father, again, I know there really is a lot of confusion about um, who the Spirit is in our lives. And um, we just simply want to trust you to teach us and to guide us. We don't want to run ahead of you. We don't want to leave behind uh, anything that you have for us. We simply want to embrace you and your word, your truth. We want to learn to live in a way that is pleasing to you and it makes a difference in the world around us. Father, we're tired of living powerless lives. We really want to be filled with a spirit of wisdom and prayer, a spirit of love and truth, your Holy Spirit working in us, living through us, making a difference in our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray.